electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The great debate over the rally, whether stocks can keep moving higher. We'll debate that, of course, with the Investment Committee today. Joining me for the hour, Bryn Talkington, Surat Sethi, Steve Weiss, and right here on set is Joe Terranova. Check the market, see where the trade looks. It looks pretty good on this Monday. Dow's good for nearly 200 points, two-thirds of 1%, 31,481. So we're trying to get to 31.5 here. We got the S&P 500 just a touch below 3,900 right now. NASDAQ's good for near 1.5%, 3.01. The yield on the 10-year note, Joe Terranova. Got a big week of earnings. We got IBM and OT tonight. I'll have that uh, front and center there. We have Savita from Bank of America, who just took down her earnings expectations mm-hmm. and her S&P price target, saying let the cuts begin. I did end on the NASDAQ of my little market read. The NASDAQ up quite nicely. And interest rates at 301 on the 10-year. What do we think? What's most important today? I heard last week, Josh, talking about technicals and how technicals was so important in February and March, kind of as a leading indicator in where the market is going to go. I think right now the setup is with the absence of any Fed speak as they prepare for their meeting, earnings that have been better than expected. Now we rely on the technicals. And here's what the technicals will tell you. If you look specifically towards the NASDAQ, Mm -hmm. it's reclaimed its 50-day moving average. If we have the chart and can show it, that'd be great. It's reclaimed the 50-day moving average the first time since April that the NASDAQ has been up above that critical moving average. Now, the S&P is going to follow. S&P 39.28 is the 50-day moving average. This is important because quantitative models will move capital back into the market based on that. And I think we're set up here to move a little bit higher uh, as the technicals are suggesting. Did you see NVIDIA today, Joe? Uh, okay. Yeah. Speaking of 50 days. It's it's right about there. It's mm-hmm. up almost 7%. It is. And I'm very happy about that. And that's why I think the time last week and 10 days ago was the time to be adding towards growth. I think when we look back over the last 10 days, we're going to realize that's not when you want to step away from risk. That's not when you want to sell stocks. It's too late. Now, if we get a bounce in the market, okay, I'm open to selling some stocks because I've said I think the market kind of sways here on either side of 4,000. But when the market moves, market goes back towards 3,600. What are we talking about? Maybe another 5% down. I'm not selling stocks down at that level, right? You know who's stepping away from risk? Who? I mean, who has been? Is it Steve Weiss? Weiss. Weiss has been stepping away from risk at every turn, right? Are you stepping towards it at, at all these days, Weiss? Well, I, say, I wouldn't say I've been stepping away. I stepped away earlier in the year. And by the way, Scott, as you know, been dead right on it. And still, virtually every stock I sold is lower than where it is. And I get the opportunity to cherry pick the best names to reposition my portfolio for a completely different environment where 
capital is not free anymore. You see how he gets so defensive right away midday, when he's trying, you know, we don't. It, it's not defensive. It's defensive it's, it's, right away. I it's mean, setting the facts. Nobody suggested that you've been wrong on the market. I just said that you have stepped away or were stepping away. Ran away. Uh, from risk. You, for the most part, you've wanted no yeah. part of this market. Let's just be honest. I mean, you haven't wanted any part of, of this market yeah. for a variety of reasons, and you've been right. The question is now, is it time to put your toe back in the water? Do you think that stocks can make a legitimate move higher from here? You know, so, uh, so I think it's a tradable bottom right now for the next few days. Uh, midday, I put on some cues. I still think that's the best thing to do right now, uh, rather than trying to cherry pick individual stocks where you just don't know what the impact's going to be to, uh, to their earnings revenues. Look, I mean, I was surprised by Goldman today. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But when you have great CEOs like Brian Cornell having to come out and reset expectations just two weeks after they report their earnings, then who am I to second guess them any CEO and say, I know better than you what the future is for your company. Not mm. the long-term future, but the near-term future that can, that can very clearly change the, uh, the equation whether I want to buy it or not. So, look, in my view, it's going to be, you could see more of a rally depending upon what the Fed says next Wednesday. Now, if they come out and say, hey, take a look at what's happened to commodities. They've gotten crushed. Take a look at energy at the pump going, going down then you could see it more sustainable. But I don't think that's going to be the end of the story. So I still think the market goes lower because you're going to reset earnings, you're going to reset expectations, and then you're going to have to see what the valuation is. What the market's trading at right now is not a clear picture of valuation. Okay. Because we don't know what the earnings are going right. to be. So I'd rather wait. So I stayed long the queues into today. I'm probably going to stay long a few more days. I may add to something here and there. But by and large, I still think my narratives can be correct. All right. And one more thing, Scott. Oh, my gosh. I'm not a natural pessimist. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to keep going. Sheesh. I'm not a natural pessimist. Everybody says Somebody take the his sky's batteries falling. out. <laughs> Here's what I tell you, Scott. Here's what I'd say, Scott, and then I'll, then I'll let you get on with the rest of the show. Thanks. If I weren't doing halftime report, I'd be probably doing a sitcom. That's how optimistic I generally am as a person. Yeah, a, a, a bad one at that. All right, Bryn, Stiefel, <laughs> speaking of the rally, they say that the relief rally, as they call it, can go to 4,200. Okay, they prefer cyclical growth. Uh, they like software, semis, media and entertainment, technology, hardware and retail. So you take everything into context that Joe just said with Weiss and, and what do you come out on the other side with? I think I can drive a semi through the analyst calls for the rest of the year between, you know, Savita, I think, down at 3,600 and then Stiefel up at 4,200. It's so it's so wide. And so I think investors need to really anchor themselves on what they know and what they believe, because you can pick an analyst and have two totally differing views like we do right now. I think that where my anchor is this, is that Less than 10% of the time, going back to 1913, the Fed has been able to engineer a soft landing. Oil spikes have preceded many recessions. An inverted yield curve has preceded many recessions, and Fed tightening has preceded many recessions. We've had now all three of those occur. And so maybe we do, maybe we don't go into a recession later on this year, next year, I don't know. That being said, I think those truisms that I understand history 
still make me want to be overall um, positioned defensively. And what that means to me is we like to have a lot of covered calls on our strategies because that gives us not only some income, but some hedges. And then once again, we own the queues, we own ARC. Um, those are undersized positions. Um, I agree though that you, you have seen some really nice moves. I mean, I think Roblox has gone, has gone from what, 24 to 40, 40 today. And so you're really seeing some big moves mm -hmm. in some of the most beaten up names, which I think is healthy because you need to have that bottoming effect. And so, so I think as an investor, that's where my anchor is. Where I think the danger is right now is you know consumer staples are some of the most expensive they've been in a long time. It's actually the most expensive sector from a PE of the 11 sectors in the market. And so I think investors whip sign themselves around is the biggest risk. I think stick to what you know. Be, you know, I'm defensive with a little bit of growth mm -hmm. and, and that feels really comfortable for me. Yeah, to, to Bryn's point, I mean, the, Joe, the NASDAQ 100, I'll get to you in two seconds, Surat. NASDAQ 100, 6.5% uh, over the last month. ARC's up 13%. Um, Apple's up 15 percent. Yeah, yeah, 15%. That, and that's now it's got everybody's attention too, right? It, it, it dipped below 130, and then it started to make a comeback, and now you're like, wow, okay, maybe we've got some something to work with here. I think what's positive about that, and and my response to Bryn would be this: we've also during that period we've priced in, I believe at least a shallow recession. I think that uh, that's priced into the market. We've priced in that earnings are going to contract. So those those are two good conditions that the market resiliently has absorbed. Oh, you think, but you think that the market's fully priced in the amount of contraction you may ultimately get from earnings? Priced, the market has priced in without question a shallow recession. I think the market has priced in a shallow contraction in earnings. I'll acknowledge something much deeper is not priced in, but I don't think you could expect that right now. Surat, what's your view? I agree with Joe. I mean, the market is pricing in what he would call a shallow recession. It is pricing in a downturn. Uh, you look at the financial services companies, you look at the activity that's going on in the banks. They're not really seeing a lot of capital markets activity. You get seven IPOs. Last year you had 60. So, you know, that, that sector has been, been facing that. You look at the cyclicals, you look at the industrials, they're all pricing in, quote, a, 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 a slowdown. And then, you know, to Rin's point, and you look at uh, consumer staples, they're all pricing in. Uh, why would stocks trade at, you know, Coke trade at 26 times earnings? So a lot of this has been priced in. Do we know the extent of how low earnings are going to go? No, we don't. We do know that the market looks forward 12, 18 months, and some of this could be, hey, we're getting to a base where earnings are bottoming. Could they go down another quarter? Absolutely. But when you get all these input prices coming down, you get copper, steel, lumber, um, you know, more inventory in the targets of the world, I think you're seeing some, you know, some deflationary effect there as well. So, yes, we're very dependent on the Fed. We're going to see what they do. Uh, my bet is that they're still going to raise. Uh, they've got to put marbles back in the jar. But as a long-term investor, look look for some opportunities here. We've always said that. And I think, you know, as earnings kind of come down, some of these stocks could re-rate. Some of them are re-rated already. So just be careful. But but I think there's going to be opportunities uh, abound. What, what about that 4,200 call from Stiefel today and the areas that they like? And by the way, Evercore also is out today suggesting that the rally off of the June 17 low has further to run. Um, and they're positioning for upside with NASDAQ growth. They think that's where the outperformance is going to come. So everybody, not everybody, but at least these two groups are back on the tech train. 
Yeah, and, and I think part of that is some of these tech stocks have really been beaten up, and, and there is high-quality tech out there. I mean, you know, I think of NVIDIA in there, or Qualcomm, some of these higher-value companies that have true earnings, true cash flow. They're not growth at any price. They're growth at reasonable prices. And if we do think that we come out of this in the next 12 to 18 months, these companies have been so beaten up, trading at multiples we haven't seen in a long time. So, uh, yeah, I do think you can get that, but I do think you can get it in other parts of the market, too. I don't think it's going to be just the tech trade that we saw for the last 10 years. But is it, is it dangerous, Joe, to jump on this train if we're going to use that um, thing ahead of earnings? At the, stocks, the stocks have run a lot into earnings. That doesn't mean they're going to run out the other side of the tunnel after earnings as well. Is, is it... Is it too dangerous to get into these stocks today, given the moves that they've had? Apple, perfect example, up 15%. NVIDIA, as we said, back at the 50-day and up 7% today. So I'll, I'll borrow our uh, eternal optimist line, Stephen Weiss, where he said tradable bounce. I think this is a tradable bounce. Do I think you can buy select financials after earnings? Yes. Would I go out and buy a lot of the technology companies yet to report right here? No. I want to hear what earnings are going to look like. Then on the other side, I would step out. Well, why, are they, why have they run the way they have these tech stocks? Because they were just beaten down a lot? Because the, 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 the economy is signaling that we are having a growth scare. When you have a growth scare, you're going to strategically turn to, as Surat said and Bryn said, growth at a reasonable price. You're not going to look at non a profitable technology companies and buy those right here. The risk assumption is far too great there, but you are going to look at companies that have free cash flow generation in the present and are reasonably priced, understanding that growth is going to dominate in an environment where you have an economic contraction that's making a return. Listen, if there was one position where it was clear the speculative community was overwhelmingly positioned towards, that was underweight growth in the month of June. Bryn, you want to weigh in? Yeah, I think where, you know, I, I'm, I'm spot on with Joe on tech. I think you want to wait and listen to these companies. And here's why is that if you look at the tech sector from the S&P, 45% of revenues for tech are overseas. And so you have the dollar. That's fine. And I don't think F people are going to be are going to be punitive because the dollar strength. But if you think about that consumer, that 45% of the revenues are from international, the U.S. is doing really well. But overseas, I think between, you know, China, which is still still a huge wild card, you know, Europe probably goes into a hard recession, or at least it feels that way just because of their, their energy crisis. And so I think investors should take this, quor this quarter's earnings to, to listen to that, and then I think there's going to be some huge opportunities. But I would wait to add to those positions over the next few weeks until you do here, because that heavy international revenue exposure could definitely be punitive to some of these companies that have less sales because of that. Then there's Steve Weiss's favorite person, Mike Wilson. The one he lines up with at the starting gate in the race to figure out where this market is going. Mike Wilson, by the way, as you all know, I'm sure by now, thinks stocks are going lower. He doesn't think the, the bottom is in. And he was on Squawk Box Asia on Friday, and he thinks the trough in S&P is going to be quick. Listen. I think it'll be fast. You know, one of the things we've learned, this whole cycle has been extraordinarily quick. The downturn itself, the V-shaped recovery, which we caught on pretty well, and then, you know, the, the timing of the Fed and unemployment being at, at peak and, you know, sort of peak employment. So it's just we're just ripping through this cycle way faster than we've seen in, in prior cycles. 
And that's that's a good news because that means the conclusion of this bear market will come pretty quickly. You know, it's going to be painful, but it's going to be quick. Now, by and large, Weiss, you've agreed with Mike Wilson in, in the sort of negative tone that he's had. It sounds to me from you over the last few weeks that you may differ with him on the length of time that this bear market takes. I've, I've, I've heard you certainly speak that you think this is going to be a, a bit more of a prolonged deal than some others suggest. What about what he said? Yeah, I, I don't really disagree, except I think there's a nuance to it. The nuance is that the market over the last number of years has discounted cycles quickly, and then they've gone about their business, then discounted that cycle again when it actually happens. So we could see that now. So as we get through this earnings season, as we get through the Fed next week, and I think it's important what Joe pointed out that we're in a quiet period right now for the Fed. So the market's going to be left to its own, which is why I believe we can still rally. But I just don't think that you can fight the Fed as strong as they're coming. And I don't see them pivoting. Look, the difference between the Fed and the market is where the Fed made a mistake is they looked into the future and said inflation is transitory. I don't think they do that again. I think they deal with the facts as they are today. And so they're going to keep going. The market's going to trade, but it's going to go lower. And then you could buy. I believe the timing for buying the market is maybe five months away, maybe four months away. But you could see a lot of pain in the interim. Look, if you want to start buying positions, and every day I do look at positions, I look at stocks I do want to buy on my shopping list or add to, and I just can't pull the trigger on them yet because I think I'm going to have time to do it and that there's no rush. The the moral of this story that we're having a conversation about today is that none of you, it feels to me, think the bottom's in. Tradable bounce, tradable this, tradable that. That suggests that you think stocks are ultimately going lower too. I don't think the volatility is going away. I think there's obviously concerns. We heard the announcement from Gazprom today. We've got, uh, as we move into winter, we're going to have a stressed energy environment. There are still significant hurdles to overcome. The Federal Reserve has more work to do here. They need to raise rates significantly higher than where they are right now. But how much of that is in the market? I, I, I think that a lot of price, I've said this over and over again, price is not the enemy to me. I, I, I could take 5 to 10% down. I've told you 33.93, which was the previous high. The market could easily go there. But okay, if, if the I'm fine is, with that. But you said earlier, if the market is pricing in, I think the words you a mild recession shallow. is how you, a shallow, right? same difference, whatever. Yep. But instead, the market's already priced in a shallow recession, so hasn't it already priced in the amount of tightening that's coming? Or no? Unless, unless inflation remains stubbornly high and the Federal Reserve has to go beyond what the market is expecting, then I think you're talking about a more prolonged recovery process. But I, I think that this is important. I think where we are in terms of the journey to recover all the losses is the important question. Because I don't know, maybe, maybe others on the panel feel differently, but I don't think this is 73 or 2000 or 2008 where the market goes down and it takes five years to get back above where the previous peak was. I think we'll see 4,800 again. I think we could see 4,800 at some point in 2023. So I'm okay positioning for that. Okay. I don't think this is a multi-year bear market malaise. Well, because you think that then you, you obviously must think that inflation is going to come down significantly and quickly 
reasonably so, that we'll get back to some sort of normal cycle faster than others suggest. Surat, again, this idea of tradable bounce that everybody on this panel is, is talking about suggests that you don't think that stocks are, are done going lower ultimately either, do you? I don't, but, uh, you know, to Joe's point, I think is this really important. Look, Wilson says it's going to be fast. You know, Weiss, Mr. Optimist, says, you know, he's going to wait five months. I don't know whether it's going to be two months or five months. I do know that I want to own these high-quality stocks three to five years out. And I think when you get the opportunity, and some of these you can buy now, and some you might get after earnings season, I, I would stick with the plan and stay invested. And, you know, could we definitely go down 5%, 10% if the shallow becomes a, a hard recession? Absolutely. But I do think this opportunity here, uh, I, I think the Fed is, is very different from what it was in the mm -hmm. last 10 years. Okay. And, yes, they, are, they, they understand what's going on. So I think there's more opportunity here. All right. The, the opportunity in the here and now is, is health care for many people. Bryn, you included. XBI, final trade from uh, Friday uh, afternoon, and you bought the XBI. You sold some calls against it. It's talking about the covered call strategy that, that uh, we always discuss with you. Yeah, so XBI, let's put that in the growth trade. It's, a, it's an equal weight um, names of, of, of biotech names. It based out, like a lot of these higher growth names, it based out around the 60s. You know, it's up in the 80s right now. And so I sold the October 95 calls. I brought in about 4.5% income, and then I've got about 15% upside. I do think, though, longer term, regardless of what happens to interest rates, biotech is here to stay. I didn't have it in my portfolio. And I feel like some of these high growth names, it keeps making higher lows. And that's really what you want to see with a sector is those higher lows and that's doing that so i took a i took a position Joe, really? i do want to say though one one po yeah, what, just really sorry. just really quick about mm -hmm. what what's happening in, about inflation is everybody is like so sure we're at peak inflation so i just want to throw a little wrench in that or a nugget to think about is that understand the oil scenario we still have a very very tight supply demand and the nothing burger meeting that occurred in saudi right. tells us that as well and so when I think when I hear that Saudi's actually buying oil from Russia, and so there is nothing to say that oil can't start moving right, right back higher, uh -huh. and then we're right back where we were. And okay. so that's where I think investors need to kind of just understand that and be, stay defensive. Just wrap up this healthcare thing because for me, Joe, and do it quickly if you can. It was your stock summit pick at the beginning of the year as as the sector you wanted to be in. Took took advantage of the valuation discount relative to the S and P, nearly twenty percent. That's the largest discount in nearly thirty years. It's growth. It's value, it's offense, it's defense. You're going to get a correction here in healthcare if we see the market continue to rally. You want to be on the other side of that, taking advantage, adding to your allocation okay. there. All right, we will take that break. Earnings from the big banks, they keep rolling in. Goldman crushing expectations. It's the best stock in the Dow today. Bank of America beating two. The committee weighing in on both of those names next. We'll see you in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. 
B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. We are back. Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, both beating estimates. We said Goldman's best stock in the Dow today, higher by more than 2%. Weiss, good stuff for you. Um, You own both Goldman and B of A. And for those who may not remember, you were also um, short the XLF as a hedge against your long holdings here. This has to be uh, a surprise to you, to say the least. It is a surprise. So uh, I think I said last week that I took off most of the XLF but took the remainder off this morning. And I may put it up back on at some point, given my market view. But, you know, Goldman is a surprise, but I'm always prepared to be surprised by Goldman's execution, which, frankly, is why I own it. So it was a great quarter. It's amazing how they did it, given the number of IPOs and secondaries, the percentage that they're down, which is like 90%. Incredible. For B of A, I actually think the stock should be up higher. Sure, they missed the bottom line by 2%, but they kept expenses in check and they beat on the top line. Now, B of A had more of a warning, it's a, you know, not an out outright warning like Jamie Dimon, but said, hey, you know, we're not done just yet. And you're seeing the unwinding right now of what helped earnings in the past with all the banks in terms of loan loss reserves. They're adding to them rather than pulling them back. So that's worth noting. Overall, I think the stocks are cheap. Look. I don't know. Maybe they go down again. I sort of think they will. But bottom line is two very, very well-managed companies, and the performance was surprising, but not totally. So I'm staying there. Okay. Uh, Bryn's got Goldman Sachs, too. But let's switch over to Bank of America. Joe, this is one of yours along with JPM and Morgan Stanley. Mm -hmm. Best so far is what? I think that you have to, from a sentiment perspective, elevate somewhat and, like Stephen, feel far more optimistic about what you're hearing in these bank earnings. I am extremely happy with what I heard from Morgan Stanley and the response from Morgan Stanley, which is up over the last five days nearly 5%. I think the environment as you move forward is going to an envir- be an environment where fixed income training revenues are going to remain strong, where you're going to see FIC revenues very strong offsetting the challenges that exist right now in investment banking because of what the SPAC environment is going to be. So um, I I feel much, much better about my bank holdings, about a Morgan Stanley, about a Bank of America. I am not happy. I am disappointed in the earnings from J.P. Morgan. I don't like a suspension of a buyback. I understand why Jamie Dimon and the team are doing that, but I don't like it. I don't feel feel good about it at all. And quite candidly, I'm going to be studying 
the regional bank earnings in the coming days because I think there's opportunity there. And I think from my perspective, I've missed out on what has been a significant outperformance from a lot of these companies mm -hmm. like M&T, Regions, mm. Cincinnati Financial. And I'd be looking to get into one That's of those That's the things. Mayo play right now. Well, coming into earnings, the play was Main Street over Wall Street yes. in terms of financial institutions doing well at this particular moment. Clearly being reflected in terms of performance. Loan growth is strong for regional banks. And now you're talking about NII, which is going to be strong as well. I've missed the regional bank trade not much longer. I'm going to take a position in one of these soon enough. All right, Surratt, Bank of America, JPM, Morgan Stanley. But give me something on bank and the banks in general. Look, I think uh, a lot of people were expecting earnings to be really dismal, given kind of the lack of any activity. They've all brought up credit uh, losses. I think that's a good thing to do, just to be a little careful. Uh, but I still like them. They traded, you know, anywhere from nine to ten earning uh, times earnings. I mean, Morgan Stanley's got a four percent dividend yield. Bank of America's close to two point seven percent. So I do think, uh, you know, if, if any sliver of activity picks up, wealth management businesses across loan activity and interest rates rising. I mean, that was one of the big things that people looked at before. Nobody really talks about that either. So I think there's opportunity here in the banks. And Joe's right. The regionals, when you look at like First Republic and the Silicon Valley Bank, those things, I think, have a lot of upside, too. So you we want to be diversified within the financial services. You want to have the companies that have the wealth management, like a Morgan Stanley. But you also now want to have companies that are going to have capital markets activity because we've basically bottomed out over there. Okay. Uh, Bryn, quickly on the banks. Hey, Scott, can I make one more? Yeah, go, go real quick, Weiss. Real quick. Okay. I, I, I think the bloom's off the rose on fintech and that they're not as competitive as others thought. If I were looking at what's happening with Bitcoin, and it's not the same model, and see some of these companies filing bankruptcy, I'm not suggesting that the fintechs trading public are going to. As a depositor, I'd want to be with Bank America. I'd want to be with Goldman. I'd want to be with the others, rather than take my chances on companies that are losing money. So I think you'll see market share go back to the big banks. Okay. Thank you. Bryn. Yeah, so we've actually had a, a pretty decent position in an ETF called SVAL. It's a small cap value factor-based strategy. And actually 46% of the ETF are regional banks and you know small regional banks. And so it's down for the year, but relative it's done much better. And so I think that you know if Brian Moynihan is right, if the consumer um, is okay, if we don't go into a recession, that is our way to play that regionally versus with a, a multinational or a big bank like a, a JP Morgan or even a Goldman Sachs. Okay. Got a couple of good promos to tell you about too. Two big interviews on this very network today. Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan, he's on the closing bell at 3 p.m. to talk about the latest earnings report. Goldman Sachs's CEO David Solomon joins Jim Cramer, Mad Money. That's on his bright, beautiful new set down at the New York Stock Exchange. Let's get the headlines now with Bertha Coombs. Hey, Bertha. How are you, Scott? Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. In an interview with Politico, infectious disease expert and chief medical advisor to President Biden, Dr. Anthony Fauci, said that he will retire by the end of Biden's term.
Fauci, who is currently 81, has been the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases since 1984 and became the face of the U.S. government's efforts to contain the COVID-19 pandemic. Sri Lanka's acting president declaring a state of emergency amid growing protests demanding his resignation two days before the country's lawmakers are set to elect a new president. The acting president took over on Friday after his predecessor, Gotabaya Rajapaksha, fled abroad and resigned after months-long mass protests over the country's economic collapse. And jury selection for the trial of Steve Bannon begins today. Bannon, a one-time advisor to former President Donald Trump faces criminal contempt of Congress charges after refusing for months to cooperate with the House committee investigating the January 6th Capitol attack. Scott, back over to you. All right, Bertha, thank you, Bertha Coombs. Coming up, the biggest ETFs to watch today. Plus, we have some of the biggest analyst calls on the street coming up in our calls of the day. We're back in just two minutes here. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Are you ready to make bets on single stock ETFs? I'm Bob Pisani. The first U.S. single stock ETFs launched at the end of last week. Access launched eight ETFs that enable an investor to make bullish or bearish bets on five well-known big cap companies. Tesla, NVIDIA, PayPal, Nike, and Pfizer. How do they work? Let's ask Greg Basick. He's the CEO of Access Investments. Greg, these are the first single stock ETFs in the U.S. There's eight of them. Tell us how they work and what are you getting when you buy these ETFs? Sure, Bob. Well, these ETFs are designed to provide amplified exposure on single stocks, as you said, stocks like Tesla, NVIDIA, and others. And they're designed for active traders, traders that are looking to make tactical trading decisions on a daily basis. And as this market has matured for leveraged ETFs, you know, we're excited to bring the single stock ETF access to the U.S. market. So, as always, we say this all the time uh, with leverage and inverse products, uh, Greg, they reset every single day. So even after a few days, the actual returns might differ. Now, the SEC has not been particularly friendly to these products in the past, Greg. And and just last week, the SEC chairman, Gary Gensler, made a comment when these products were about to be launched. And here's what he said. They are risky products for investors and potentially for the markets as well. Other SEC officials have expressed concerns as well. Do these products pose some kind of risk to investors and to the markets? And have you addressed the SEC's concerns? Well, we we have. You know, we believe that it all comes down to education. And we feel strongly about that, that uh, every investment has to be matched to not only the investor's investment objective, but also the investor's level of uh, uh, skill and expertise. And that's why these products specifically are designed for active traders Um, who already are trading uh, based on single-day events and earnings announcements and other developments that impact specific companies' 
on a daily basis. So we are very focused on investor education and agree with the premise that these are not for all investors, but for active traders who are looking to make those tactical uh, decisions on a daily basis. We, we think these are important tools. These are the first leveraged and inverse single stock ETFs available, folks. So we're going to have a lot more on how these single stock futures actually work, single stock ETFs work, and what other single stock ETFs are coming down the pike. There's many more of them coming at 1 p.m. Eastern time on ETF Edge. Greg will be joined by Dave Naughty. He's the financial futurist, futurist at Vetify. ETFedge.cnbc.com. Halftime back right after this. Welcome back. Take a look at shares of Delta today. They are sharply higher. Got a positive catalyst outlook from City today. Surat, it's yours. You own it. They love it. Um, I do own it. They actually had a pretty good earnings report. It wasn't as bad as people thought. They had positive earnings. They had positive free cash flow of a billion six. Better uh, earnings than they did, you know, when we were in the COVID two, uh, two years ago. So I do think, um, you know, the company's looking forward. They just placed an order for 100 planes as well. So stock's down to $30. Um, the demand is there. They can't fill up enough of their planes. And I think going forward, they're going to be very careful also not to just do what, you know, the airlines have done in the past, which is just capacity, capacity, capacity. So I do like it. Um, I, the stock's really been beaten up, and I think there's a good opportunity to buy this. You were looking at it, Weiss, but you didn't do it. Right. Yeah, I did. I, I was looking at it actually for a trade. Um, look, to me, this is similar to the Target story. You had the CEO come out in June and say, hey, things have never been better. Things are never stronger. And then comes out in July and, and says, whoops, maybe that's not the case. So it's tough to second guess these CEOs. Uh, look, they're going through this pent up demand, this fire hose of demand post pandemic. And I believe that settles down, particularly with the consumer under pressure. You've already started to see fares come down. So do I think there's a ton more downside here? Not necessarily, but I would want you to keep in mind that where it's trading at right now on a PE basis is above where it has traded historically, which is closer to 10 times rather mm -hmm. than 13 times. Mm -hmm. So I'd be cautious on this one. So, but if it comes down to the you know, so 20s, I'd buy it, I think. So, Joe. Okay, so Weiss, I'll, I'll take you on on that one, all right? So firstly, prices have come down on airfare just a very little. Secondly, what you're, the big part of they this is capacity is not coming on as fast. Yeah, but look at capacity, Weiss. Yeah, well, capacity is what you got to focus on that's, here. That's always, Surat, that's always the story. That's always the story. You're talking about a moment in time, and I'm talking about the long, long, long held history of the airlines. Everything starts at some point. And I'm also and expect prices to be cut and it's a, it's a, it, in a day. It's a, di it's a different world out there. They can't even get their capacity on if they wanted to. Well, that's because they don't have the crews. But they'll put them on. There's no doubt. Look, in the oh. 20s, I like it. All right. We'll leave it there. That's good. 43 minutes in. Somebody going at Weiss. All right. We'll let that go a little longer. Nice job, Surat. <laughs> Uh, quickly, dear. <laughs> price target got reduced today, Joe, and I'm asking you about it because you own it. The, the stock is up. Price target's 365. Okay, so 419 started to feel a little ridiculous, uh, obviously, to the analyst as well. You have talked about, as recently as last week, the need, I think, the need to reduce some exposure in your ag plays. I, I could have written the report for the analyst. These stocks all peaked in April, which was kind of where I went 
max exposure to Archer Daniel, Midlands, Bungie, and John Deere. Um, obviously, you carry an overweight towards the sector because in terms of machinery, non-residential is really the only place of opportunity, but there's been extreme disappointment in terms of price performance. What's, the price, what's the price at which you'll sell? Since you're so looking to sell. You've got deer at 302. If I could get a bounce back towards 335, 340, I would unload something. You know, oh, so you, okay. but, but let me finish, let me finish on, on this thought for a second. Yeah. Here's the logic behind agriculture. This is important for the viewers to understand. So I'm doing the work on all my agriculture holdings last week. And guess what I do? I look at FMC and I'm like, wow, this looks really good from a valuation basis. I probably want to buy this one too. I'm going to add a fourth agriculture name when they're all not working. That's the temptation. That's the challenge. That's where you have to maintain your discipline and say, wait a second, your thesis might be right, but what price is telling you right now, you're wrong. So if the S&P can carry higher here, one of these names has to move out of my portfolio. I promise you that. When, when I have to go to break from now, and I'm just going to go like that. I got this new pen. See that? Ooh. I'm going to shine it right at you. It's like a laser. Thing, right? When you start talking a little too long, I do it through the television at you Weiss. Can't, you can't, He'll probably continue but you to talk, can't but. fault me after a long weekend wanting to spend as much time as I possibly can with you. That's true. All right. Well, I appreciate that. Okay. All right. Discretionary. That's the light. It's time to go. Okay. Discretionary is one of the worst S&P sectors this year, falling nearly 30%. Now Goldman Sachs is going bargain hunting with a list of their top picks. We have them next. New note we mentioned by Goldman Sachs today on the state of the consumer. They highlight headwinds in the second half of the year. They do see smooth sailing in 2023. Let's talk about some of the calls. Yum, double upgraded to buy 135. Joe, as it relates to you, they reiterate a buy on Chipotle. They do take it off the conviction list, but you recently bought Chipotle again. I, I like the way you set that up. You, you, you kind of said, you. yeah, they took it off the conviction. The focus well, they on, did, but they still right. like it. But Right, exactly. 1720 is the price target. They reiterated on it, and this is why the viewers should like it. This is why I like it. It's because fast casual is a defensive play in an economic contracting environment relative to its peers. You're going to see tremendous resiliency in terms of raising prices, both for chicken and steak. Chipotle has raised their prices 10% less than Cadoba and Moe's. In terms of traffic, we saw $5 gasoline at the pump in the month of June. What was the traffic for Chipotle during that period? It was up 17%. So the resiliency is there. Defensive play, if you don't have fair amount of consumer exposure, this is a name that you want to look at. I own this as well as Lululemon. Okay. Surat, the state of the consumer in terms of wanting to own stocks is what? Look, I, I think the consumers actually still has cash. They still want to spend. They're going from the pandemic to endemic. But you have to be careful because I think some of these stocks uh, have really been beaten up uh, a lot and, and some of them for the right reasons. So I, I do think this is an area where Staples has outperformed, discretionary is under, but you got to pick your targets. I mean, we like uh, media in there. We like the uh, the cable guys in there. We think uh, they're going to have good cash flow too, but I agree with Joe's picks. I think the right one companies are going to be the ones to be in. Okay, good stuff. Quick break. Then Mike Santoli has his midday word with us next. And final trades, of course, ahead too. All right, it's Santoli's midday word today. Interesting note that I just see from a few moments ago, Mike, from Jonathan Krinsky, talks about the S&P 500 
below its 50-day moving average. Should it close below that today, and it looks likely to do that, 60 straight days, the longest streak since 08. He points out over the last 50 years, the majority of similar streaks have occurred in established bear markets. Therefore, even if it's able to reclaim that number or that level, caution remains warranted in his view. As you've been talking about, as the gang have been talking about, uh, the technicals are not on the bull side. No, the trend is not on the bull side. And that's the main thing that you have to, I guess, keep in mind, even as you monitor the progress. We've gone a month without new lows. This has been, especially today, a very well-behaved rally. And by that, I mean it's kind of obeying a lot of the boundaries, uh, has not gone to the 50-day average. It's not really made a good run at those hurdles above it, uh, whether it's 4,000 on the S&P or not. Now, you still see some counter-trend stuff happening where growth outperforming, home builders rallying on a day of really ugly builder sentiment and things like that, which might be uh, somewhat uh, encouraging, I guess, on some level. I would just point out one other thing today, intraday. The the two-year note yield remains kind of dictating the action to a large degree. started to rise around 10 a.m. Eastern. That's when stocks came off the highs. Uh, Then it it finally, you know, backed off and stocks could lift again. That seems to be the immediate toggle and a pretty, you know, otherwise gentle action where you have some follow-through from Friday's uh, bank rally as well. That's why he he does say that maybe the most important thing to continue to look at uh, rates, as you just mentioned, Um, And the dollar as well. And it's notable today the dollar is a little bit weaker versus the euro, the pound, uh, where those real pressure points have been. Right. So it's relieving just a little bit of uh, of that pressure uh, at this point. You know, everything is uh, is pretty contingent. Burden of proof remains on those who think that, you know, we're in the clear in any sense. That's it's clearly not something you can make that conclusion. I would say when you're waiting for the trend to turn, it's going to be well off the lows. Right. I mean, that's kind of the game you're playing here. Uh, You're admitting that you're going to be suspect of any move higher until you see the real buying urgency and that trend change. We're not there yet. All right. That's your midday word. I'll get your last word in OT. I'll see you in a few hours. That's Mike Santoli joining us there. Final trades are next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime podcast now. As I mentioned with Mike Santoli, besides his last word three hours from now in overtime, actually four hours from now at the end of overtime, IBM is at the beginning of overtime. Their earnings closely watched, of course, by Stephanie Link, among others. She will be with us, by the way, off the top of the program today, talking markets and IBM, which she was trimming a little bit of last week. What will she think of the numbers? You will find out first. Plus, Ed Yardeni will join me as well. I look forward to speaking with him, as always. What does he think about the bounce? Some of these calls that you can get, 4,200 maybe, S&P 500, we'll ask him. I will see you in a few hours. Let's do final trades. Bryn, go first. Yeah, uranium, URNM. I like the space. I'm, I'm in the stock. I think it continues to gain, gain traction you know, as we move um, throughout um, fossil fuels, et cetera. But I'm selling the, set, the October 70 calls, collecting around $4.30, which is around a 7% yield for three months. And I still have around 15% upside if it got called away in October. Okay, thank you for that. Mr. Satie. I am staying with Delta, I mean, just because I know Weiss hates it so much. No, I really like it. Good I enough think reason this is for me. Call, good, next. <laughs> totally good enough reason. Weiss, <laughs> the aforementioned Weiss. That's a great reason for me, too. Yeah. Like great reason for me too. I like being right. Hey, I'm still shorting the TLT. I think the yield goes 
goes above the 10-year. Right. That's enough. Goes we got to go. I need the last pick. That's the, like, the pen light. That means it's time to move on to Joe. Devin Energy. <laughs> the laser. All right. I'll see you in overtime. The exchange is now. <laughs> You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.